The American swimmer uh, Florence Chadwick became the first woman to swim the English Channel both ways, and um, she also attempted to swim from Catalina Island to the coastline off of California. It was uh, July 4th, 1952, when she walked into those cold waters. Um, the problem was there was heavy fog, and uh, so she figured, yeah, I can swim in the fog, no problem. And as time went on, you know, there were shark sightings, and so uh, boats that were trailing her, tracking with her, they were shooting those sharks off. And, and after 15 hours of swimming in the fog, um, Florence just said, you know what, I can't do this anymore. And she's talking to her trainer while she's swimming, and the trainer's saying, no, man, you, come on, come on, Florence, you can do this. And she's no, I, I want to get inside the boat, call it today. And so she gets in and realizes that she was only one mile away from finishing. Well, later on she said, I'm not excusing myself, but if I could have seen the land, I might have made it. Well, that's, that's true. If only she knew how close she was, she could have persevered, and um, instead she lost perspective and gave up. And there's times in our life, your life, my life, that fog rolls in, right? It does. Life has a way of fogging up our perspective. And in those times, it's easy, and I've seen people bail out on God, you know? God, why are you letting this fog in my life? You know, I'm, I'm losing perspective. Well, this morning, as we look at Revelation 5, uh, chapters 4 and 5 kind of bleed together. And the Apostle John is, has been brought up to heaven to get a, a visual of what heaven's all about. The reason being, the churches that he, were, that he was writing to, they were going through heavy persecution. They were going through a lot of fog in their lives. And so realizing this, God wanted to present a picture of what heaven's going to be like. So when fog rolls in your life, my life, we can see the finish line through the fog. Two months later, after Florence attempted that swim, she went in again. Again, the fog was heavy, but she kept perspective and refused to give up. The reason being, this is what she said, I kept a mental image of the shoreline in my mind. In other words, she had something going on in her head, the finish line, she was able to keep it in perspective, even though the fog prevented her from literally seeing the finish line. And we know that our mind can present mental pictures, and that's exactly what John is doing for you and for me this morning, that fog comes in. Jesus talks about that in John 14, 1. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Why? Because when you're living on this planet, your heart can be troubled. Fog can roll in. Jesus says a way to get through that, just like what Florence Chadwick did, is we need to focus in where we're going. And where is that? If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, it's not, I hope so, maybe, keep my fingers crossed, I'm going to get to heaven. No, you can know that you're going to go to heaven when you move from this planet 
heaven will be your home. So, Jesus said, trust in God, trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything's ready, I'm going to come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. Jesus is saying that. Yeah, fog's coming in. You live in a broken planet. But what are you going to do about it? Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. Keep your eyes on the finish line. Get a picture of what heaven's going to be like, because that's your real home. And that will help you get through the fog all the way to heaven. So, just a couple things. This past week, for example, people that have had fog come in in different life situations, and how did they deal with it? Well, uh, a couple, for example, um, Micah Potter. I don't know if you ever heard of Micah Potter, but he plays basketball on the Wisconsin Badgers basketball team. He can't play yet. He uh, transferred from Ohio State last year. The NCAA, for the third time, turned him down for playing right here and right now in November. So, Fog came in in Micah's life, and he posted this on his Facebook page. He said, my eligibility waiver was denied again this past week, and sadly, we now have closure. I'm disappointed and frustrated that we've reached this point. For the next month, my goal continues to be what it's been, of doing everything possible to prepare my teammates for a coming games and supporting them from the sidelines. Notice Micah's not caught up with poor me, woe is me, where's the violin? I feel sorry for myself. I want to thank everybody that's helped me through the process. Now check this out. My faith has been a stronghold throughout this whole process and I know God has his perfect plan for everything. Now that's a good place to yo. Yo, 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 my man Micah, man, if I, if I saw him face to face, I'd give him a chest butt, boom, you know, that encourages me, and I hope it encourages you. Yesterday, on national television, Tua, the quarterback for Alabama, who was injured last Saturday, broke his nose, fractured his hip. Out for the rest of the season, fog came rolling in into his life. Time to get out the violin. Time to start questioning God, wouldn't you say? He was interviewed on the sideline. Listen to what he said. Tua, it is so great to see you and your smiling face here in this stadium. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. You know, I, I think first off, I just want to want to thank um, you know my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for. I mean, you know, instilling the Holy Spirit in me, giving me the strength to come and support my teammates. Um, I also want to thank, you know, the fan base uh, for the amount of support that they've given me and my family, um, as well as prayers. You know, I want to thank the pastors as well, and I just want to thank my mom and dad. Um, you know, they've been helping me throughout uh, this process, you know. Find- yeah. Where's my man Tua? That's another yo, man. Yeah, man, that's just a couple, and we could go on and on and on. All throughout this country, fog's rolling in on followers of Christ, 
and they're not giving up. Why? Because they're looking into the future and they realize they are secure in their relationship with Christ, that God is bigger than the fog, and he's going to see them through. They put their faith and trust in him. Man, that's exciting. And that's where we land this morning in the book of Revelation chapter 5. So on the back of your program, you can follow along as we're going to pick it up in Verse 1, chapter 5, Revelation. Revelation, the last book of the Bible. Then I, I is John, the apostle John. Hey, is John having a great day? John got dumped into boiling oil, survived. The Romans said, hey, we can't kill this dude. And so they ship him off on the island of Patmos. He's not feeling sorry for himself. And God's speaking to him, over 90 years old. God is speaking to him. John is saying, I saw. I saw. What did he see? He's up, he's, he's in heaven. A scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. Who's sitting on the throne? God Almighty. There was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice. Whoops, there's that word again. Loud. Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) For all of you (laughs) that can't handle loud, uh, it's going to be loud in heaven. Because here it is. Man, if if, if you could just tip your head towards heaven, it's loud. There, there is a lot of stuff going on there. And so that's why this angel had a, had a shout with a loud voice. Because it's so loud. We'll, we'll leave it there. We'll leave it there. Who is worthy? To break the seals on this scroll and open it. But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. John saying, I began to weep bitterly. Because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders, remember they're around the throne. Said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. Victory in Jesus. You got to sing in the microphone. Come on. Come on. Push the diaphragm, Montaniel. <laughs> Victory in Great singing, man. Give yourself a hand. Yeah. So if you don't know that great song, go to YouTube, plug in Victory in Jesus. You can memorize it over the next few days. And we'll be singing that periodically on a Sunday morning, so you'll be ready to roll.
All right? Victory. Victory. He has won the victory. We are living and serving a God who has the victory. This is not a defeated God that's up in heaven wringing his hands and, oh, what a terrible day he's having. No, no, it's victory, man. It's victory. He, he. Who's he? Jesus. Jesus is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Lord, this morning we thank you that you are worthy, that you have the victory. And Lord, you want your people, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the followers of Christ, to walk and experience victory daily in their relationship with you. Thank you that you've given us everything we need, Lord, to make that happen. We can't do it on our own strength, not by trying to be good on our own ability. We have to rely on you and you alone. So help us, Lord. And as we dig into your word this morning, may it explode, Lord, inside of us as you speak. As Samuel, as a young boy, Offered this prayer to you. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. That's our prayer this morning, Lord. Speak to us. Help us to listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, Revelation 5, as you know, continues from Revelation 4. (laughs) I know it's profound on a Sunday morning. Um... But we're, mo- we're continuing to hang out in heaven on purpose, as we've already mentioned. And we see that the scroll, there's, the scroll seems to be a focal point. The, the, the folk, main focus is, of course, God on the throne and his son Jesus nearby. But the scroll, and the reason being, in the next chapters in Revelation, we're going to be zooming in on what what's coming out of the scroll. This is significant about future events on this planet. Once again, this is a reminder, heads up, hey, when, when horrific world events happen and, and they can impact you, what the Lord is saying is you, you need to keep your eyes on Jesus. You need to be reminded of the fact that heaven is your home. And that will help get you through. Because I'm telling you, when we Revelation 6, things are going to start blowing up uh, from the scroll. Judgments on the earth. So that's why. That's why. So number one, the scroll in God's right hand, in your notes, um, verse 1. John says, I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne and he was observant enough to see that there was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll. This, these are, this is a time in history when it's pre-books. Scrolls were written, rolled up. Uh, so let's say a chapter was written and they would seal it with wax and then they would continue writing. So there's seven seals in this particular scroll. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it? But nobody 
in heaven or on earth, under the earth, was able to open the scroll and read it. And I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. First of all, just a heads up, John is having a personal tour of heaven. And what's cool is he's relating it to you and to me. It's not, it's not private. It's not a secret. He's, he's giving you and I a real-to-life picture of what's going on in heaven, which I think is pretty cool. Notice heaven is a real place. It's a real place. John says, I saw in verses 1, 2, and 6. In verse 11a, he said, I looked. In verse 11b and 13, he says, I heard. So his senses are fully engaged on what's going on in heaven. He's listening, he's seeing, he's looking. He's very, very in tune with what's going on. He's not bored. He's not apathetic. He's not twiddling his thumbs, man. He is fully engaged because it's a wow moment. And what a day that will be when my Jesus I will see. Heaven's spoken about 532 times in the Bible. Is that important or not? 532 times, I would say that is, that is a big priority in the, in, in, the, in the mind of God. Heaven is, yeah. And we already know in John 14, Jesus said, I am going to repair a place for you. He's endorsing heaven because he wants you to be where he is forever. That's pretty cool. He must love you pretty, he, he, he must love you a bunch for that to happen, wouldn't you say? That, that could be a stop right there and say, Lord, thank you for loving me like that, right? It's hard for me to comprehend, Lord, but I am so grateful you love me that much that you want me to be with you forever. So Paul even says in Philippians 3.20, we are citizens of heaven. We're citizens of heaven. That is our home. Our passport has heaven stamped on it. We are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Now, Randy Alcorn in his book, Heaven, great book. Man, if you want to hear about heaven, read about heaven, that book, it's like an encyclopedia. He says, because Satan hates us. Does Satan hate you? Yes, he does. Why? You have been created in the very image of God. God breathed life into your nostrils. God knitted you together in your mother's womb. God knows everything about you. So Satan hates you because of that. You're handmade by God. Well, because Satan hates us, he's determined to rob us of the joy we'd have if we believed what God tells us about the magnificent world to come. You see, Satan's out to, to thwart the incredible future that you and I have in heaven. He wants you to think that you're going to be bored uh, with a capital B, that you're just going to be up there humming and just twiddling your thumbs and hee-ho, hee-ho, ha-ho. You know, I wish this would hurry up and get over with. I'm tired after 10 trillion years of being here. No, no, no. Listen, you have a finite mind. God is infinite. Just keep that in perspective for now. Because when you get to heaven, things are just going to, pop like you can never imagine so so Jesus is in the process of taking the scroll now Daniel 12 9 
There's some theologians that believe that what was written by Daniel in chapter 12, that's what's in the scroll right now. So 550 B.C., was the time Daniel 12 took place. We're living in 2019. That's a long time. Seven seals sealed up that scroll. Daniel 12, 9, go now, Daniel, for what I have said is kept secret and sealed until the time of the end. See, there's coming a day very soon. Those events are going to transpire. In this world, they were sealed in Daniel's day and they're going to be unsealed very, very soon. So, verse 2 I saw, John says, a strong angel. Some believe that this would be Gabriel. Gabriel's name literally means strength of God. Gabriel, have you heard of Gabriel? He's been around a long time, right? So, So I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it? Who's worthy? Well, John starts to weep because there's silence. Nobody's stepping up. Um, Nobody's stepping up. It's like, hey, Abraham, where are you? Uh, Hey, Paul. Um, hey, Elijah, you know, you can start thinking of these incredible men and women. Mary, Mary, the mother, uh, no, no, she's not stepping up either. John the Baptist, no, nobody. And so, and so John is, is kind of having a meltdown momentarily, like, man, who's, who's going to be able to open up this scroll? Which leads us to number two, the scroll and the lamb, verse five, but one of the 24 elders said to me, Stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. And he had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. And he stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. Everything changes in heaven once it's realized that there is one, capital O, Jesus, who is worthy. He's worthy to take the scroll and to open it. So we see there's three names that are given by John. The first one is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Look, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. Genesis 49, verse 8, Judah, your brothers, will praise you. You will grasp your enemies by the neck. All your relatives will bow before you. Judah, my son, is a young lion that has finished eating its prey. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down like a lioness who dares to rouse him. The scepter, sign of authority and power, will not depart from Judah. Now he's prophesying about the Messiah. Nor the ruler's staff from his descendants until the coming of the one. Who's the coming of the one? Jesus, to whom it belongs. The one 
whom all nations will honor. That's where that came from. Jacob prophesied about the Messiah. He would come from the descendants of Judah. The lion from the tribe of Judah. Now, what is that? Uh, if you let your imagination go, you could think of C.S. Lewis, The Chronicles of Narnia, right? The lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. Aslan, the lion. Woo! He shows up, you know? The witch says, hey, man, this is, uh, it's always winter but never Christmas. You know, that's kind of a gloom. That's kind of a foggy perspective of life, isn't it? But here's the deal. Five words explode in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It says Aslan is on the move. Aslan, the lion, represents Jesus, right? Yeah. So Jesus is on the move, is he? Well, we could look at Micah Potter, we could look at Tua, we could go on and on and on. How about your life? He's on the move. There's fog rolling in, but he is on the move. And then we see in verse 5 here, the lion of the tribe of Judah has won the victory. He's on the move. Is he on the move? Check this out. The American Bible Society has given out over 10,000 free Bibles to Kanye West fans. They were planning on giving out 1,000. They figured 1,000 that, you know. Check this out. As more and more people are searching about Christianity in the wake of the exposure surrounding Kanye West and his new Christian album, the American Bible Society has swung into action. It's got on the move. It is reported that the society, the American Bible Society, has given away 10,000 Bibles around the world and is still making them available. According to Bible Gateway, since the launching of Kanye's album, online searches in their site have spiked, especially the phrases in his songs that are faith-based. A report from Christian Headlines said that Google searches about Jesus and what do Christians believe have skyrocketed. And so the American Bible Society has offered free copies of the Bible for those that are going after, hey, what's this about Jesus? Hey, what's this about putting your faith in Christ? Is Jesus on the move? Whoa, he's on the move. The lion from the tribe of Judah has won the victory. And Jesus is on the move in 2019. And I'm so glad for that. So, Kanye West, uh, you know, rap, I can't say that's my favorite kind of music. <laughs> no? It's up there on the church. But my mind went back to the late 60s and early 70s when, when the Jesus movement started out in California and it just swept across our country where you had a bunch of hippies putting their faith in Christ, man. It was like wildfire. And, and God just put his hand on these young men and women, and they started writing music, worship music, praise music, with guitars and drums, and people were freaking out. You know, and some people are freaking out about Kanye West right now. 
Jesus is on the move. Like he was in the late 60s and early 70s, man. We need to be praying for Kanye West. People that never go to church, never heard about Jesus, there is a spike of curiosity. Jesus is on the move. And so you have to be prepared. That's why we're doing the series in December, you know, prepared, knowing how to respond when questions and doubts are floated your way. It's good to be ready, right? Good to be prepared. So, number two, the heir to David's throne. That's the second um, title given, the heir to David's throne, Isaiah 11. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a branch bearing fruit from the old root. Verse 10, in that day, the heir to David's throne will be a banner of salvation to all the world. Who's that? That's Jesus. Prophesied all the way from Isaiah 11. The nations will rally to him, and the land where he lives will be a glorious place. Jesus is a descendant of David. Look at the genealogy, Genesis in in Matthew chapter 1. Number three, the third name given to Jesus, the lamb who was slain. Look, Look at verse 6a. Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered. So what's interesting is, The first one, the, Jesus, the lion from the tribe of Judah. And so John, the apostle's looking for this lion. And when he turns to look at him, it's not a lion. Instead, it's a lamb that's been slaughtered. What's going on? It's not messing with your head. What we're seeing is it's a picture of who Jesus is. Because when Jesus came the first time, he came, as John the Baptist said in John 1.29, Behold the Lamb of God, who has come to take away the sin of the world. That's, a, that's great news, isn't it? Jesus became the Lamb. In the Old Testament, man, you, you, would, you would have to go to the temple with a lamb, and you would put your hands on that lamb, and you would confess your sins while holding down the lamb. Lord, I, I, I lied. You can go, you, you confess your sins. And then the priest would be standing nearby and he would cut the throat of the lamb and drain the blood from that lamb, signifying your sins were being taken from you and put on this innocent lamb. Your guilt being exchanged from you to this innocent lamb. But when Jesus came, he became the Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. He came as a lamb the first time, extending grace to the world. The second time he comes, he's coming as a lion. And when he comes as a lion, he's coming with justice. When people think they can mess around with God and they can blaspheme God, And God's not, he's just an old fogey up in heaven. God is keeping track of everything. And every single person one day will stand before God and give an account of his life. He is the lion from the tribe of Judah, and he will extend justice to the world. God of love, God of justice. That's the balance. So, the lamb that was slain. What's interesting, let's take a look at this image uh, I don't know if any of you have ever seen, this is what the lamb 
of God looked like to the Apostle John in heaven. Seven horns, seven eyes, and you can see the wounds on his body. The seven horns representing power, authority. The seven eyes that God is, he's, he's perceptive, he sees everything. The wounds that he carried. When Jesus was nailed to the cross and he was buried, he rose, he showed the wounds to Thomas who doubted. Come on, Thomas, put your hand in my side where that spear went. Come on, Thomas, look at the holes in my hands and my feet. And so when Jesus went back to, the, back to be with his father 40 days later, he carried those wounds back with him, and he will carry them throughout all eternity. That's why last Sunday when we had communion, what was it? It was a reminder of the price Jesus paid for you and for me. Think about all of eternity. We will see the wounds that Jesus carried for you and for me, which will be a motivation to be able to praise him and worship him. And we'll hear more about that momentarily. The lamb who was slain. He's been slaughtered. And so we see the lamb of God came the first coming, the lion of Judah. He's coming the second time. The lamb is meek. The lion is majestic. The lamb was judged. An innocent lamb was judged. The lion will be the judge. So you can see the lion and the lamb as one. Number three, while worship. Look at verse eight. It went, oh, man. And when he took the scroll, you talk about worship and praise going on in heaven. It just erupts with a triumphant song. We, we can worship anywhere right now, but let me tell you something. When you get to heaven, you have not experienced anything. It's, it's the tip of the iceberg, you know? And so um, we see this four living beings, the 24 elders, um, and we're going to kind of move in. Um, that's the first scene and then we move to the angels and then we move to everybody. Randy Elkhorn puts it this way, think of friends or family members who love Jesus and are with him now. Picture them with you walking together in this place. All of you have powerful bodies. I like that. Stronger than those of an Olympic decathlete. Yeah, man. I like it. You're laughing, you're playing, you're talking, you're reminiscing. You reach up to a tree to pick an apple or an orange. You take a bite. It's so sweet that it's startling. You never tasted anything so good. Now you see someone coming towards you. It's Jesus with a big smile on his face. You fall to your knees in worship. He pulls you up and embraces you. What a day, huh? You're going to experience that when you put your faith in Christ. That day is coming. So, first of all, four living beings and 24 elders fall down. Verse 8. Each one had a harp. Bad, bad picture. Well, I shouldn't say bad. That's in the Bible. But this is where you get false advertising, where you're just going to be bored playing your harp all day and all night. You know, 
Just get on a cloud, pick it, and hang out for the next 10,000 years, and then, you know, eh, it's boring. Who wants to go to heaven? Don't, don't think like that. Don't think like that. A harp here, by the way, it's more like a lyre. Um, you know, those, man, if, when you see a real harp, you need a crane to pick that thing up, don't you? Well, we're looking at the lyres, and that's what these elders had. That wasn't the only thing they had. They had gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. You think your prayers are hitting the ceiling. They're being collected in heaven, friend. They're being collected in heaven. These living beings and 24 elders represent the church, and they fall down before the Lamb. David, in Psalm 141.2, kind of gives us a picture of what that looks like. Except my prayer is incense offered to you, and my upraised hands as an evening offering. God loves hearing from his children. Even when you say, oh Lord, I need your help, that's worship. You know why? Because you're demonstrating your dependence on God. That's worship. Lord, I need you. You're greater than I am. I need your help. Number two, they sing a new song. So these, these 24 elders and these four living beings, so they've got their, their lyres and they've got their, their bowls of incense, the prayers of God's people. Then, verse 9, they sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it, for you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign on the earth. Do you know what's going on here? They are celebrating the fact that Jesus was the Lamb of God so that you and I could be redeemed so that we can have our names written in the book of life so whereby we can be citizens of heaven. They are celebrating that. They sang a new song because of that. Man. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. You were slaughtered. That's the Lamb of God. And your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. I'm so glad that Jesus was obedient going to the cross that he rescued you and I from our life of sin. He forgave us our sin. He gave us his righteousness. He calls you and I sons and daughters of God. That's great news. Not only that, verse 10, you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God and they will reign on the earth. Guess what? You're going to reign on the earth. Yeah. The thousand year heaven on earth, the way God planned it from the beginning. You're going to reign on this earth. You're going to be a kingdom of priests. Isn't that great news? You're not going to be sitting up on the bleachers, way up on the blood, the blood section, blood nose, blood nose section, way up there. No, no, no. You're going. 
You're going to be you're going to be participating, man. You are on God's team. Aren't you glad for that? Oh, no, no. You've sinned so bad. You need to sit out for six weeks, you know. No, 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 no. That's not how God operates. You're in. You're participating. And, number three, we zoom in even closer. Millions of angels sing. Look at verse 11. Then I looked again. John's just kind of getting blown away by this. I heard the voices of, who's got a calculator? Thousands and millions of angels around the throne and of the living beings and the elders. How how much is thousands and millions? It's a bunch. It's a whole bunch, right? It's probably more than you can count. And they sang a mighty chorus. Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. There's music out with those lyrics, man. You could just go to YouTube and listen to the songs like that. But the angels, they have not been redeemed, but because you've been redeemed, they get so excited. In fact, in Luke 15, 7, it says, There is joy in the presence of God's angels when one sinner repents. The angels, they have a party. They high-five each other. Woo! They get excited because more people are coming to heaven. Mm. They, oh, boy, oh, boy. And we move in closer. Number four, everyone is singing and worshiping. Verse 13. And I heard every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth and in the sea And they sang, blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living beings said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and they worshiped the Lamb. You know, when I read this, I heard every creature, not some, not 10% of the creatures, every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and in the sea. So when I hit the C part, you know what, I, I let my imagination roll a little bit. I imagine one of those huge whales standing up on his tail in the ocean. Woo! God, I worship you. You are worthy. Every creature in the sea, even those little stingrays, stingrays sharks. All the creatures worshiping. What's holding you back, man? What's your problem? Why can every other creature worship God but you? What makes you so special? Well, everybody's singing. What a contrast to so many worship services in churches across America today, you know, where people cross their arms and they sit passively during worship. They're scrolling through their emails on their phones, man, just checking it because I'm so bored here. Pretty sad, isn't it? When you look at heaven, man, it's, it's all, it's full bore. It's full on singing praise and adoration to God.
Back in 1637, a German pastor by the name of Martin Rickhart wrote a hymn called, Now Thank We All Our God. It's a, it's a great hymn for the Thanksgiving season, but also all year round. Do you think, Martin, things were just rosy, kind of like going out in the parking lot looking at the sun, everything's going my way, yippity doo you know? No, back in 1637 in Germany, there was famine, there was disease, there was pestilence. Martin, being a pastor, he was burying people from his community every single day. In fact, he buried all of his children, and he buried his wife. Do you think fog was rolling in in Martin's life? I think so. Do you think Martin could get out a violin and start feeling sorry for himself and say, woe is me, where is God? No, no, no. You know what Martin did? He wrote a hymn. Look at the words. Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices who wondrous things had done in whom this world rejoices, who from our mother's arms has blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. All praise and thanks to God the Father now be given, the Son and him who reigns with them in highest heaven the one eternal God whom earth and heaven adore, for thus it was, is now, and shall be evermore. I have a a hunch that Martin had been hanging on in Revelation 4 and 5. How about you? To be able to put a hymn down like that in the midst of heavy fog in his life. He couldn't see heaven, but he had a picture of what heaven was like. You see, that's what helped him persevere. And so, as we look at everybody singing and worshiping, this morning as I was getting ready, this song could not be shaken out of my mind. Boom. thinking, keep going. That's done on purpose. I was singing that to myself. Come alive, dry bones. Hey, hey, who do you think you are? Dry bones in there. Come on, come alive. You speak to that. Here's a little, here's a little thought, friends. A very practical decision would be, as a follower of Christ, I'm not going to come in after worship on a Sunday morning. Who do I think I am? Well, I don't, I don't like worship. My voice, you know, yeah, it's not about you. It's about God. We worship God. We don't worship you. Right? And so why are you missing out on the most important time? Because through worship, you are preparing your heart to hear from God via the word. So you think, ah, you know, I, yeah, whatever the reason may be, maybe it's time to drill down and say, 
I'm going to start modeling what's going on in heaven right now. You think, you think those four living beings and those 24 el- Hey, can we take a little time out? I'm getting a little tired. Come on. A simple decision. I'm going to come two minutes early. I'm going to repair my heart, and I am going to be fully engaged. And I am pushing the diaphragm when I sing. I'm pushing it. Because there is something about singing to God like they're doing around heaven. Do you think they're toning it down? Can you guys turn it down a little bit over there? No. No, it's loud. There is something about loud from the diaphragm, man. It is a sacrifice of praise. Because he's worthy. He's so worthy. And we see in verse 14, the four living beings said amen, and the 24 elders fell down and worshipped the lamb. That word worship is so cool. It means to kiss toward. It means to kiss the hand in reverence. What's that about? That means there is so much intimacy between God that all you can do is worship with affection. Because when you look at John 15, 9, Jesus says, I've loved you even as the Father has loved me. When we get a picture and realize and allow him to love us like that, there is intimacy. There is worship. Lord, you love me so much, I'm not worthy to be loved like that, but you love me anyway. You know everything bad I've done and you still love me. Worship overflows. In 2003, Saddam Hussein's statue was being torn down all throughout Baghdad, and a TV commentator from the United States was there, and he responded like this. These people are used to coming out in the streets and praising Saddam. If they didn't, they were punished. He had a policy of compulsory adulation. How would you like to worship God like that? If you didn't worship, he'd hit the zap button, take you out. Hmm? No, God, John 4, 23, but the time's coming. Indeed, it's here now. Not tomorrow, not next week. It's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Hey, don't you think it's time? Hmm? We were created to worship. God is not a God of compulsory adulation, you know. That's not love. We should want to do that. It's an overflow. It's an expression of our love to our great God. Father, we thank you this morning. For this picture of heaven we have in heaven... Lord, we recognize that fog rolls in, in this world, in this life, and for those that are not anchored into you, they abort the mission, they, they quit. And Lord, this morning, every person in this room, we have a decision to make. Are we going to quit when the fog rolls in, or are we going to have a picture of what heaven is all about And that will help me, motivate me to get through the fog to the finish line. So Lord, forgive us this morning if we have displaced you from your rightful place. 
that you are worthy to be worshipped. You are worthy to be praised. And Lord, when the fog rolls in, we have committed to fixing our eyes on you so that we will finish strong. That's our desire. That's our prayer this morning. And before we finish up here, I just want to give you an opportunity. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or anything, but I'm going to ask you to make a commitment this morning. that you will be proactive in your worship and your praise to the Lord. You will take steps to make that happen. You have everything at your disposal through technology to, to be a worshiper. And I get it. Everything is crying for your worship. Everything. But there's one who's worthy not wasting your time doing it but this morning Lord will you help me commit to becoming a worshiper of almighty God I will be proactive I will push the diaphragm I will become fully engaged in worship because Jesus you are worthy We thank you. We thank you for helping us. In Jesus' name, amen.